before we move on, ESPN in partnership with Peyton Manning's Omaha Productions presents Against All Odds with Cousin Sal. Jimmy Kimmel Live personality Cousin Sal and his three childhood friends lovingly known as the Degenerate Trifecta break down the biggest gambling events of the week in their top picks for games. That's Against All Odds with Cousin Sal. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, guys? Welcome to a brand new episode of DC and RC and RC. Hey, I mean, look, you don't want to look at me. You don't want to look at me because he know what it is. This is the face, guys, of another championship coming to the American Kickboxing Academy in San Jose, California. Guys, coming up Do on you the mean show, the American Wrestling to- Academy? <laughs> don't nobody there kickbox. <laughs> There's not hey, one. We will, there's not one champion that's kickboxed. Tell me one, Ryan. Just give me one, Ryan. Wait, wait, wait. I will. Hey, wait, Luke Rockhold. Luke Rockhold is a kickboxer. Even though he did take Chris Weidman down to win the championship, he is known as a kickboxer. But when you look at, you remember, you remember, look, hey, Doctor Evil. Hey, you remember Doctor Evil. <laughs> <laughs> Javier Mendez is coming up on the show. We revisit UFC 280, and we tap in and tap out, as we always do. But, RC, look at your boy. I mean, I got my Chapatula shirt on. You know, I'm out here just you, you repping rock, Louisiana, Dagestan, San Jose. I'm out here repping because it was a good weekend from the desert. I can't believe it. I went over there, and I didn't know what was going to happen. And I respect Charles okay. Oliveira. But Islam Mahashev not only wins— he submits the greatest submission artist in UFC history. Ryan Clark, when you watch that, how excited. Because, I mean, listen, I'll say for you, you're a hater. So I will say your first reaction was, it was so dominant, I really didn't enjoy it. But I will ask you now, thinking back, <laughs> please your for your mind to process this. When your mind to process this, I'm asking you, how exciting was it to see that type of performance? First of all, you're a terrible friend. And here's why you're a terrible friend. <laughs> we were on the phone yesterday talking about something totally different. And then you ask me about the fight, and that's what I said. And so then you come on the show and use it against me. Like that's like taking that's like a personal message, and then you use it against me? Like what type of why, friend does this that? This is why I call this is why I call you all the time because I hope that you say something I can use against you on the show. <laughs> I constantly call to try to see what I can use against you because you have somehow managed to turn everybody against me. I don't know how you've done that. It's like the most – you're so gifted. DC, DC. Here, here, first of all, it doesn't take a gift to turn people against you because you're so obvious. So that's the first thing. Um, what wasn't obvious to me – was how dominant Islam could be. And when you look at this fight, and when I watched it back, Charles wasn't better in any area. And I think a little bit, Charles seems to almost, or seemed to almost underestimate what Islam could do on his feet. When you look at some of the sloppy strikes, some of the defense that wasn't the Charles Oliveira defense we had seen, I think that became an issue when you go when you go for the flying knee, you get caught with the right hook. And we all knew that Islam Mahakshev wouldn't be scared to go to the mat with Charles Oliveira. He felt that he was stronger. He felt that he could keep 
top control. And eventually he submitted the greatest submission artist in the history of the UFC. And so when I look at the people that Charles Oliveira have be has beaten, has beaten, because when I look at Justin Gaethje and Dustin Poirier, I feel like Charles Oliveira defeated them in a more dominant fashion than Habib Nurmagomedov did. And you think about the way Islam absolutely picked him apart, both on his feet and on the ground. I think it's one of the most dominant championship performances by a, a in this case to me what would be the challenger that we've ever seen and I think now the two to one odds that this fight opened at makes sense but DC even with you understanding the fight game the way you do knowing Islam Hakchev the way you do did you expect him or expect that he could be so dominant over Charles Oliveira you know what RC I remember Islam and I'll say this without a shadow of a doubt. For the longest time, he's always been like the best guy in the room. And it was always thought that when he could make the same type of skill and show the way that he shows in the practice room in the octagon, he would be the best in the world. Now, I'm not saying he's better than Habib. I'm not saying all this. I'm just saying that he was always, I mean, he was just always so good but he was never able to just take it and do it in the octagon as well as he did it inside of the gym. The one thing that was surprising to me was that when I talked to these guys, and I'm talking Ryan, Charles, uh, Islam, Aljo, TJ Dillashaw, which we'll talk about a little bit later, Sean O'Malley and Piotr Jan, I had never seen six guys that were so sure that they were going to win. Charles Oliveira thought he was going to knock that guy out in the first round. Islam Mahashev right away said, I'm going to submit Charles Oliveira. And even I, when talking to him, was like, Islam, you cannot believe you're going to just walk through this dude. Because Habib said a couple weeks ago, Islam will walk through him. And we're every, I, all of us, our ears perked up. We were all going, this guy's out of his mind. There's no way he believes that he's going to do this to Dubronx. And he absolutely did, bro. He did it to a Charles Dubronx Oliveira who was in shape, who was prepared, but he knew exactly what he needed to do. And I thought that was shown very early in the fight. Ryan, if you remember, at the end of the first round, or in the first round, Charles Oliveira, when Islam came into contact with him, pulled guard because he figured yes. he might be able to submit him. But then by the end mm -hmm. of the round, Islam had to take him down again. And in the second round, he defended yes. because he felt the top pressure. And he was like, I'm not going to be able to maneuver my way away from this guy. He's too strong of a grappler. And then in the second round, when he dropped him with that left hand, right hook, that was nasty, and then he gets the arm triangle, Ryan, and I've been in this kid's arm triangle. It's so tight. It's so tight. The moment he was able to clear guard, Charles Oliveira tapped, and I'm telling you, bro, it was one of the most dominant performances that we've ever seen from a challenger. You were exactly right. No, yeah, yeah I, I absolutely agree with that. I think it was, it was one of those moments, and you know, you, you continue to tell me how great Islam was is and was and I had just never seen it or never saw it against an opponent like Charles Charles Oliveira or against some of the opponents we've seen Charles Oliveira not only face but defeat in a really devastating and dominant fashion and so to to watch him be so confident in everything that he possessed going into the fight and also be able to execute that to the point of submitting Charles Oliveira. I thought it was just such an impressive performance. And the first thing it made me think was, well, who beats this guy? Right? Like, like mm. who's next? When, when you beat Charles Oliveira 
in this fashion. After Charles Oliveira is riding the win streak that he was riding, after he's beaten the people that he has, it's okay. Who faces Islam Mahakshev in the next fight? And I think that's going to be the decision that the UFC is facing now. And how do we build excitement for that fight? So, DC, with you looking at the entire lightweight division, who gets the next shot at Islam? You know what's crazy is that, Ryan, we speak to the dominance. He just won the belt. And now we're already saying, what's next? You know, one of the biggest knocks on Islam going into the fight was he's never fought anyone in the top five. He's never done this. He's never done this. But all we had seen him do is dominate. And he dominated the greatest submission artist in the UFC's history. But not only that, he dominated a guy that has really run roughshod over the division. He has finished all these guys, Michael Chandler, mm -hmm. all the biggest names we know at lightweight. Yes. Charles Oliveira finished them. When I left the octagon after interviewing these guys, I, my first question that went in my mind was, what does Bronx have to do next to, what does Bronx have to do to close the gap on this guy? And there was no clear answer. I was still thinking, but it's going to be very difficult. But if he can't close the gap and he struggles so mightily against those other guys who possess very similar skill sets, who does Islam fight? Like, who at lightweight does he fight or how long does this guy reign atop this division? The next fighter that's going to get an opportunity to try and solve the puzzle is the great Alexander Volkanovsky. You and I both know pound for pound, number one guy in the world, and rightfully so after what he did to Max Holloway last time. But when you look at this fight, RC, what do you see as his path to victory against a guy that is so dominant <laughs> like Mahachev? What can he do to change the way the fights are going to play out? Hey, DC, it's so funny, man. Uh, one of my closest friends, one of my best friends, my brother, he's the defensive back coach for the Dallas Cowboys. And he's always talking about, like, these players getting upset with him. And he says the first thing he always thinks about is where's my win, right? So, like, let's say it's a, a, big, mm -hmm. a big safety, right? He's like, okay, I might have to stick and move, get him and get out quick. Or if it's a smaller corner, he's like, okay, I got to grab him and hold on to him until they break us up. That's how Alexander Volkanovsky is going to have to approach his fight camp mm -hmm. because Islam Mahachev is that hard of a puzzle to solve. I think coming into this fight where you heard Dubronk say, I'm going to walk him down, I'm going to finish this guy in the first round, I believe he believed that. And I think it's one of those things that everybody has a plan until they're hit. Well, with Islam Mahachev, everybody has a plan until he's in top position. And I think once that happens, yep. all those plans go out the door. And when you think about some of the fights that Alexander Volkanovsky has had, a lot of those fights have remained on his feet. And when he has had to go to the mat, it was in the second fight against Max Holloway where he understood the takedowns could be his avenue to a win. Uh, Brian Ortega had him in the... Um, the, the, the mounted guillotine and had an opportunity to finish mm -hmm. him, but he was able to escape. And so Alexander Volkanovsky has dominated at 145 in a way that says he should be pound for pound, number one, but he's never dominated any fighter as accomplished as Charles Dubronx the way that Islam Mahachev did. And so to me, I actually don't know Alexander Volkanovsky's way to a win. I think for him, he has to do his best to keep this fight on his feet, he has to stick and move, and this almost, this almost becomes a Floyd Mayweather-type win to me, where you overwhelm Islam Mahachev with movement, 
and volume because if you let this fight get dirty, if you let this fight get close, I don't think there is a way for Alexander Volkanovsky to, to, to take the championship from the new uh, man and like, lightweight. You know, it's, it's going to be a very difficult fight for the champ, you know, and I'm talking Volkanovsky because Mahachev is bigger. Dude, this kid, like, we are one punch, Ryan, one knockout from having another Habib, undefeated guy, in his UFC career or in his entire career. He had one hiccup in Houston way back at UFC 182 when he fought on the same night that I did. But every other instance in which he's been in the octagon, Islam Mahachev has been dominant. His striking is as good as his wrestling. His grappling is second to none. So it's a very difficult puzzle. It's a very tough hill to climb. And his confidence is, I believe, what makes him so good. I was talking to him uh, the other day, and I asked him about Brazilian jiu-jitsu and black belts and all these other things. And he goes, some of these guys shouldn't have black belts. They should start taking black belts away because these guys embarrass jiu-jitsu. This is crazy. He's talking about some of the best fighters in his weight class. You and I have sat here talking to him on this show laughing in astonishment at the way that he almost disrespects the opponents, but he's not disrespecting them. He is literally speaking his truth that he believes with every part of himself. And I believe in that truth, Ryan. I believe that in that self-confidence is why Islam is so dominant inside of the octagon. And I spoke to Bilal Muhammad after the fight. and He said, I've never seen a guy so calm going into a championship fight. But RC, as you know, when you're the best in the world, whether you guys were winning the Super Bowl or whether you're winning the UFC championship, why would you not be confident in your ability to get the job done? Now, one guy that is always in Islam's corner, he has been there from day one. He has been one of the guiding lights in this journey. From Abdul Manap Nurmagomedov to Habib, there's always been a Javier Mendez, and now it's time to go one round. With my coach and friend, my mentor, Javier Mendez, as he joins us from AKA. Coach, how you doing? I'm doing good, DC. Thanks for having me on. It's been like only a couple months. You know, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. We, we, Thanks we, for coming we, on, We should have had you Thanks on a long time on. ago. How, that is Ryan Clark. Ryan Clark is a Super Bowl <laughs> champion for the Pittsburgh Steelers and my, my partner in the show, and we're both honored to have you. We are, nice, coach. nice to be on here with you, Ryan. Let's not get in any arguments, yes, though, sir. okay? No, I'm always oh arguing with DC. Man. That's wow. it. Wow. You hear that? Yeah, I don't argue. I don't argue with you. I just argue with DC. DC is all excited. Oh, we have six champions. Look at what we do. We're so great. Yeah. American Kickboxing Academy. We win all the time. <laughs> so I, I, I'm going to respect you, coach, because you are the guide and the guiding light over there. But I'm going to have to keep messing with DC so I can keep his head a little smaller than it's already blown up to be. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, so I love back, DC so much. It's almost nothing you can say that's going to change my opinion of him. <laughs> that's my good, man. <laughs> love you to death, Coach. Hey, Coach, so let's get to Saturday night in Abu Dhabi. The training camp for Islam was spent over there at the NAS uh, training facility in Dubai. You guys put in a ton of work. You've been there for two months. How close to the plan did that fight go? How close to what you guys worked on, which has always been father's plan, Habib's father's plan, did the fight look like 
inside the Octagon Saturday night? Uh, well, you know, from the very start of this training camp, uh, he had actually a perfect training camp. He had no injuries. Uh, everything was on point. His weight point, uh, weight was on point. Everything was on point for this one. So uh, the game plan was perfect uh, that Habib and I executed. And, and the beauty about Islam is like, you know, you know, DC, he's so well-rounded that even if we had one game plan, we can change it in an instant. Because he's so versatile in everything he does that even if we we're planning on taking the guy down, we could have just said stand, you know, or we say stay on the outside like Matador style, you know, or be on the inside brawling. Uh, uh, he's so well-rounded and, and so well-trained that we can do whatever we want with him. And if I'm not mistaken, just from me watching all the fights and being involved with him, I rarely see him ever get hit. So he might be one of those individuals in the lightweight division or any division that rarely gets hit. Coach, you know, looking at this fight and some of the things that Charles Oliveira had accomplished before this fight with Islam, it almost seemed that he was at a point rising to be one of those guys to be compared to Habib Nurmagomedov. So how was Islam Mahachev able to dominate him both on the feet and when he was able to take him down to the mat and submit him? Well, it was, it's very simple. He's just that good. You know, a lot of people, mm. you know, they, uh, they would say things like, well, hey, he hasn't deserved it. He, he's only fought one guy, this and that. And now he's getting a title shot, et cetera, et cetera. But the people that know, the people that train with him, they know how good he is. And I've said it, I don't know how many times that in all the sparrings that I've had here with Habib, uh, that no one's ever beat any rounds from him you know, except one person, and that's Islam Makachev. He's the only one that's been able to win rounds against Habib. Nobody in the history of AKA that's within the weight that sparred Habib has ever won a round against him except Islam Makachev. So that being the reason, that's that, that's my crystal ball. It's like, it's like right. there's no other secret thing I can say other than I see it with my own <laughs> eyes right, coach. how good this guy is. <laughs> yeah. Javier, you said that Islam is one of those guys that barely gets hit. Ryan Clark, I'll tell you this stat. This was one that we had on the broadcast last weekend, or we were told in the broadcast meetings. Charles Oliveira broke the record for significant strikes landed against Islam Mahachev in his career. And it was nine, Ryan. It was nine significant strikes <laughs> that he landed on, sa well, on DC, Saturday. And that's the record. He's taking everybody to the mat and submitting him and dominating them. Like, how is he going to yeah. get hit? And this guy is freaking phenomenal. Bro, it's crazy. <laughs> It's absolutely crazy. But, Hav, when you look at this performance and you look at what he was able to do, Charles Oliveira, it leads to the question, what's next? Because we have seen Charles Oliveira yes. dominate this weight class. How long do you forecast Islam Mahashev holding on to this lightweight championship and have you, and I know Islam hasn't yet because he's so grateful to be the champ, have you even started thinking about things that are bigger for Islam? Like maybe he goes up and tries to challenge for another championship to try and really build on the legacy that he's starting to build now? Well, I can tell you guys this. Uh, watching one of his interviews, he said he's going to defend the title as many times as possible and then go up to the 170-pound division and win it there. Hey, look. Uh, I 100 look behind you, Hav, Usman. Look at Usman. Yeah, the, the next champ right behind me, yes. <laughs> he had to show everybody. <laughs> he, he's let everybody know he's coming. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Hav. I'm sorry. Finish hey, your coach. answer. Oh, yeah. So, uh, basically, uh, I forgot the question. Can Usman's just looking at me, just wanting to 
my room number again so I can charge more charges to my room. I have one question. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Coach, you know, you, you, you talked yes. about Islam having such an opportunity uh, to dominate as being yeah. one of the only guys to have taken a round from Habib Nurmagomedov, who many consider the GOAT of the UFC, of, the, of mixed martial arts. But you look at Alexander Volkanovsky, who's number one pound for pound in the entire UFC. When you think about a matchup like that, how would you see preparing Islam to face a, a, a seasoned and veteran champion like Alexander Volkanovsky? Well, you know, he's pound for pound number one. You have to give him huge respect, huge props. He's going up at another weight division, another huge respect, huge props. When he walked into uh, the cage to do the stare down with, with, uh, with Islam, I saw a very fit, a very confident, uh, you know, guy that to me looked like he weighed 170, 175. So the weight difference isn't going to be mm-hmm. too much. What only thing I saw mm-hmm. that, that, that favored us was the height and I believe 100% okay. the, the grappling and, and the wrestling. On the stand-up, mm-hmm. uh, let's see how good he is. You know, we're going to have to test it. You know, uh, we're going to test him everywhere. Um, but, uh, you know, he's a definite challenge. There's just pound for pound uh, number one for a reason. You know, and if we don't respect yes, that sir. and I don't watch the film on him, then I'm going to be in trouble. So I have to watch film on him before I can actually give you a definite answer of what we can or can't do. Um, but what yes, I can sir. tell you is Islam can do whatever we need him to do. Mm-hmm. You know how being in the octagon with those guys the other day, you could feel the energy that is building between the fight from Mahachev and Volkanovski, especially with Islam willing to go out to Australia and fight him in his hometown trying to defend his championship. But I want to ask you to speak to the closeness of this team within the team because there's the mm-hmm. AKA team, there's the Eagles MMA team, there's Abdul Manap Nurmagomedov's team. Speak to the closeness of Habib and Islam and Manap and Usman and Umar and Islam, uh, Islam Zuba. You know, like so many guys that they kind of converged on San Jose and they really have changed the culture of the American Kickboxing Academy. Speak to the relationship and how much pride these guys take in representing uh, Habib's father uh, and his great name and all the effort and energy he put into helping to produce these champions. Well, you know, the thing with these guys is it's not like they just came together just within the last couple of years. They've been with each other since childhood, since they were 10, 5, 10 years old, 12 years old. These guys have had a bond 20-something plus years, and, and that's a real brotherhood. And they've been here with me. Habib has been with uh, with me since 2012. And, and same thing here. Habib bonded really well, especially with you, DC. He, you, you probably, you and him will probably have the best bond out of all the fighters that I have here. But he bonded with everybody, as you know. Uh, his care for Luke Rockhold when Luke Rockhold left the gym, I'd always keep getting calls from Habib, Coach. Please try to get him to come back. He needs to come back here. He needs us. No, Coach. No, we're a team. We're a team. That's the kind of, of care and heartfelt, uh, uh, you know, leadership skills that, that Habib had. And I know you know that, DC, because he probably talked to you on many occasions that we need to stick together, you know. And that's what they do. When you're in the team, you're in the team. Bilal Muhammad uh, was an outsider 
on on when he came in to train with us. And at the very end, what was he? What did he talk about? He talked about the brotherhood, how they all accepted him, how they all helped him. And now he's part of the brotherhood. You know, that's what these guys are all about. Once you're in the brotherhood, that's it. You're not out. You're never out. Javier, Ryan Clark taught me something. It's it's a little bit of like slang. They say give. I've seen them on TV, you know. They talk about giving people their roses while they're here, right? You know that thing y'all say all the time, like give them his roses. Yeah, right. Yeah. Javier, let me ask you this question. Ryan and, and Javier, are you ready to take your roses as you are now a guy that has trained six UFC mm. champions and yeah. have seven UFC belts? Javier Mendez, are you the greatest coach in MMA history? Oh, wow. Uh, I'm a good coach. <laughs> I've been fortunate. <laughs> I've had I've had a lot of great things. Zinkin Entertainment really helped a lot by bringing Cain Velasquez, DC, one of the greatest of all time, you know. And I've had fortunate, uh, uh, you know, connections with people that I that I happen to see. Uh, King, because of you, DC, Habib came to me indirectly because you brought King Mo to me. King Mo, uh, Muhammad Bilal, he he's the one that brought Habib. So I've been fortunate that that way, you know. I, I I don't know anything else to say other than I think I've just been very fortunate, and and my bond with my Dagestani guys is so strong that uh, there's more champions to come. So uh, I'm not ready for anything other than I'm ready for the next champ, and I believe it's going to be uh, Usman, you know. And then after that, I really believe that uh, Umar. You know, Habib's cousin, he's going to be the the, the next, uh, you know, champion for the Bantamweights in, in, in the UFC. 100%. I really believe that in my heart. I see the kid. I see how great he is. And I really don't think anybody's going to beat him. The main event of UFC 280 was absolutely phenomenal in the sense that we got to see Islam Makachev dominate in the way that he did. So it was great to catch up on that. But that wasn't the only belt up for grabs, DC. Aljermaine Sterling defended his belt against TJ Dillashaw in what I could probably say was a disappointing fight. TJ Dillashaw comes into the fight with a pre-existing shoulder injury. The shoulder pops out in the first round against a guy that you know is going to be constant pressure, a guy that's going to be consistently fighting for top position that will try to take your back. And so you know the grappling is going to be heavy. When you look back on how that fight played out, D.C., and then eventually the finish that Aldermaine Sterling was able to get against TJ Dillashaw, what are your overall feelings on both fighters and the result? You know, RC, like, as you were saying it, like, I start to grin because I'm thinking to myself, like, have we ever seen a guy more snake bit than Aljamain Sterling? Like, remember Leon Edwards whenever, right. like, Leon Edwards is on his way to a championship fight, he poking people in the eye, like, stuff just going wrong for Leon <laughs> right. Edwards to not earn a title fight. It's the same thing with Aljo. It's like, this guy can't catch a break, man. He wins the championship on that uh, illegal knee. People act like he did something wrong. He goes out and beats Piotr right. Jan. People act like he didn't do enough to get the decision. Now he fights T.J. Dillashaw, and T.J. Dillashaw has a pre-existing shoulder injury. It's like, I have never in my life seen a guy more snake bit that is as successful as Aljamain Sterling. It's like, this dude has more wins in UFC history than anyone but T.J. Dillashaw. This guy has now defended the belt twice and joins a very short list of guys that have done that in this division. But it's like people will always look past what Aljo did because there is always some sort of circumstance that makes his victory come into question, and then it needs to be validated again. How would he have looked if T.J. Dillashaw was healthy? How would he have looked if, right. you know, 
he it's 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 unfair and unfortunate because the reality is he did exactly what I would have done. Ryan, I promise you, 2004 Olympic Games, I was wrestling in the 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 the, the final trials for to make the team. The guy's elbow got trapped underneath. It popped. You know what I did the moment we got back to the ground? I grabbed his arm and put his back elbow on elbow. his back to pin him. That's exactly yeah. what you do. So Aljo did exactly what he was supposed to do, and it's like now he but won't that, get credit for not defending fault, a championship though. again. It's not. You see, that's not but his that fault. that was my thought. That's that. Bro, that's that's TJ Dillashaw's fault. Fault, right? You mm. I, and, I, and I get it, man. How hard it is to get to a championship or to get an opportunity to win a championship. And here, TJ Dillashaw has an opportunity to win his third. So I understand after coming off of the, the knee injury and the rehab and everything at the fighting Corey Sanhagen, you don't want to miss this opportunity. You don't want to miss this fight. But the thing is this, look at it. Dana White, obviously, and the matchmakers, obviously, want you here. You're going to get this opportunity whether Aljermaine Sterling is the champion or someone else. So to go into this fight with that sort of injury, is brave, but at some point, bravery and courage almost gets to no self-awareness, almost gets to, for lack of a better word, foolishness. And so now you're fighting Aldermaine Sterling, who you know is going to try to take you down, who you know is constant top pressure throughout the entire fight, and you think that you could fend him off with half of your upper body? Because without having your shoulder, without being able to defend yourself, without being able to pull guard, keep him close to you, keep him off you, now Aljamain Sterling, who probably is or who, who has shown to be the better wrestler, the more accomplished wrestler, wrestler in the UFC, has an advantage on mm -hmm. you that he already had coming into the fight. And so for me, for TJ yeah. Dillashaw to put himself in this position, to put the UFC in this position, to put the fans in this position, to have to watch that. And now Aljermaine Sterling to be questioned once again. No, don't get me wrong, DC. When I play football, like let's say we're playing New England and Tom Brady is hurt, I am not tripping. A win is a win. Right? Like, when we beat Matt Castle Dude. on the way to the Super Bowl, I wasn't like, man, I wish Tom Brady was out here. Hell no. Tom Brady can stay <laughs> where the hell he was. But what I'm saying is it's different in this because it's so individual, right? It's all about the pride of winning, and Aljermaine Sterling did that. And much like The Rock was trying to do to Achilles when he killed Hector and Troy, that shoulder did the same <laughs> thing to T.J. Dillashaw. Like, D like DC, <laughs> is there e even any... Is there someone who consults with you or who says, you know what, TJ, maybe you shouldn't take this fight right now? Mm. Bro, you know what, RC? Like, in training camp, everybody, and, 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 and dude, I promise you, it's like, it's so crazy, right, RC? Because we have done this, and now the story, is TJ in the shoulder opposed to Aljo in another right. title defense? Which sucks, but that's just the way the world works. Now, in camp, your team will generally go, hey, man, I don't know if it's a great idea. I did my fighter meeting with Dillashaw on Thursday. He texted me after and goes, DC, I want to talk to you about something. But we never got together. Bro, it was his shoulder. And he told it to me in the octagon afterwards. Like, yes, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. You, you can't expect to win that fight under those circumstances. Now, hats off to you for going in there and lasting the first round because the shoulder popped out in 30 seconds. So to even get to the end of round one was a credit to who T.J. Dillashaw is a, as a fighter and as a warrior. But it's unfair to the division 
because there are a lot of guys that would have said, I'll do it. Marlon Chito Vera would have fought Aljamain Sterling last weekend for the championship because we couldn't have just gone back to Piotr Jan if he knew TJ Dillashaw was injured, and then TJ Dillashaw would have walked back into a title fight. I get it. I don't understand if it was a financial reason why he did it. I don't understand if he thought he won't get better. I don't know what made TJ go into that fight. But that leads me to this question, RC. A couple of weeks ago in Bellator, Aaron Pico is a training partner of TJ Dillashaw. Same shoulder injury, but his coaches could not get mm -hmm. the shoulder back in, bro. They were yanking on the arm trying to get his shoulder to pop back in place. So it asks, it leads to this, like, are these guys overtraining to where they're having the same types of injuries, or is there something more to bro. it? Bro, I was going to ask you the same question, DC. More guys in the UFC or in MMA miss fights due to training injuries than football players who get hurt in training camp. Like I like that mm -hmm. that has been one of the like phenomenons to me I've been trying to understand about your sport, DC. Um Practicing football, though it is physical, though it is rough, is not as physical as the game because you're able to dial it back. You're able to be in this controlled environment. Is that different when it comes to MMA and when it comes to these fighters? Are you guys training at a higher clip than the actual fights take place? You know what the crazy thing is? Like, in order to fight, we generally, you got to prepare for a fight. You got to fight. Oh, my God, Ryan, there's an earthquake. There's an actual earthquake going on right now, bro. Like, my whole office is shaking. Up. It's I oh swear to God, God like, the whole earthquake, <laughs> my whole office is shaking right now. Good, an earthquake man? is happening. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. It's not a big one. It's just like a little one. Hey. Every now and again, you kind of get the Rockies. You get the Rockies. I'm serious. I like, don't like that. that. was my I office not was like shaking. That, just now. <laughs> an earth, it's so <laughs> weird for someone from Louisiana where the earth never shakes. But as I was saying, <laughs> like, you... You to train for a fight, you have to fight. But, but, Ryan, we always said at AKA, we may hurt ourselves getting ready to fight you. But boy, if we make it to that fight, you're gonna have a hell of a time trying to get your hand raised because we knew we were preparing the best. But there is the risk of injury. I believe that the NFL has gotten a lot smarter in terms of the preparation. I watch stuff like yeah. hard knocks, and I see guys tackling all upper body with with shorts on. So being safe is part of the game, and obviously T.J. Dillashaw and his team kind of wasn't able to keep him safe as he got ready for the fight. But that wasn't the only Bantamweight fight on the card, the Sugar Show. Sean O'Malley made his entrance into the top of the division. He will be the number one ranked Bantamweight in the world now going into this uh, fight. That's your guy, right? So I'm on the pivot. But That's RC, my guy. That's my guy. Sean O'Malley, he won the fight. But did Sean O'Malley win the fight, Ryan Clark? DC, I'm going to be honest. Here's what I expected. I expected 29-28 Piotr Jan. That, that made mm -hmm. sense to me. And in the end, that's actually not a bad result for Sean O'Malley or the UFC. Let's be, first off, let's give Sean O'Malley his flowers, though. Sean O'Malley came to fight. And Sean O'Malley also proved a ton to himself to the UFC, and I believe Piotr Jan and his people. You remember, DC, we were talking last week, and I think you were talking about Piotr Jan's manager that said, hold on, like, Sean O'Malley can't win, right? 
Yes. And obviously yes. he did. Obviously he did win, but he had to get to a point in that fight where he goes, oh, holy hell, Sean O'Malley can win. Sean O'Malley is that good of a fighter. He is that tough. Listen, we've never seen Sean O'Malley be, be hit the way he was against Piotr Jan. And these weren't your normal, oh, we're just going to throw the jab out there as a filler. He was hit with hooks. He was dropped. He was wobbled. Mm -hmm. And Sean O'Malley continued to fight. I'd never seen him so gassed before. He was gassed, and he continued to dig as deep as he could into that tank against a championship-level fighter. But in the end, I thought Piotr Jan finding ways to get the takedown. I thought Piotr Jan leveling out the playing field as it came to the strikes and the significant strikes was huge. I will say this, though. The thing that I noticed right off of the back, and I talked about this last week, DC, because you mentioned Pedro Munoz. I said, Sean O'Malley cannot start slow and have that filling out process in the first round like he had against Pedro Munoz, and he did not. There was no fear. He was not scared. The moment was not too big for him. When you think about the fight and what Sean O'Malley earned, do you believe that this is about putting Sean O'Malley in place to fight for the bantamweight title? Or do the judges and what the UFC may want for a fighter not, not coincide at all? You know, Ryan, I agree with you. I thought Sean O'Malley fought well. I thought he did a really good job in showing the world and the masses that he does belong. And I said it on the broadcast, like, there are no more questions as to whether or not this kid is all fluff and he's all hype. He's earned a massive amount of respect. But I did believe that Piotrian won the fight. I thought Piotrian did enough to win the fight. And speaking of Piotr's manager, uh, Ryan, he didn't get to that point. He actually thought they had won the fight comfortably. I watched Habib's reaction to Piotr Jan losing the fight, and he was he could not believe that it was even a split decision. So many people, and I've spoken to fighters around the world since the decision, and all of them agree they thought that Piotr Jan won the fight. They think, Ryan, that the judges were judging the fight based on Sean O'Malley's not supposed to be this competitive, so giving him yeah, credit for things that he was doing, even that, though they weren't necessarily, even yeah. though they weren't necessarily uh, up to snuff to what Piotr Jan was doing, I don't know if I agree with that. He was almost because if you flash like, scoreboard, they're, they're, they're thinking he was graded on a curve, DC. Right, you know, you like they're, they're thinking that, that Sean yes. O'Malley was judged on a curve, as in you're not supposed to be here, you're not supposed to be in this fight that much. So the fact that you're competing mm -hmm. at this level is going to give yep. you a leg up or going to give you some kudos. But here are the scorecards right here, DC. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so I, I agree with you there. And I don't I don't know if I agree with the the the, the fighters. And it's based on this judge's scorecard on the left, Ben Cartledge. I respect Ben Cartledge tremendously. I think he is one of the most smart judges in the entire world. I have no problem with David's card. I have no problem with Vito's card. I'm, I'm sorry. I have no problem with Vito's card. But it's the cartilage card that makes me go, maybe we need to watch this again. Because I know how good of a judge this guy is, Ryan Clark. This guy has helped me in terms of understanding, judging, when he didn't need to, when I didn't have a real vast understanding of the judging. I disagree with him on this one. But because of... His card, it makes me go, maybe I'll take another look at it to see if I see it different 
on the second watch. But ultimately, right. you can take nothing away from either of these guys. You definitely can't take nothing away from Sean O'Malley. And Ryan, a little inside baseball, Piotr Jan is so disappointed in this decision. Piotr Jan is so disappointed in the decision against Aljo that I'm hearing word that this guy may want to look at something different down the line in terms of oh, his wow. career because he just does not feel like maybe the organization doesn't have his back. It's crazy. Yeah, I will say this. I thought I thought Aljermaine Sterling beat him. I thought that Sean O'Malley won the first round. I thought he lost the second round. And I do believe the third round was extremely close. Now, in my yep. untrained eye, I thought Piotr Jan won the fight, but I don't necessarily feel like it was one of those things where everyone could say that people were judging on a curve for Sean O'Malley because he fought that well. But regardless of what we feel, the card said that Sean O'Malley won the fight. And now the new UFC rankings are yep. out. And Sean O'Malley is ranked number one. And he's the number one uh, challenger in the bantamweight rankings. Does this mean, DC, that his next fight is Aljermaine Sterling. If you thought people were pissed off he got to fight Piotr Jan, wait till you see how mad they are if he gets Aljermaine Sterling next. But the other part is this. Right now, Marab is ranked number two, DC, and he says he's never fighting Aljermaine Sterling anyway. So mm -hmm. maybe this was the move you had to make. You know what's crazy is that Marab will be... Marab can... The problem with Marab being number two is Marab can possibly be like a blocker to Aljamain Sterling because he's so good that he's going to beat pretty much anyone else but the guy that he's not willing to face. I, I love I love that the division is so, depth, so deep and so talented. But I don't know if Sean O'Malley gets a title fight off of that decision, but if I'm the, if I'm the UFC, I'm trying to make an O'Malley versus Aljamain Sterling fight because... Sean O'Malley is such a star. But if I'm going to do my matchmaking for the sport, Ryan Clark, I got to go in a little bit of a different direction. So when I matchmake for the sport and not for the organization, I go Al Jermaine Sterling versus Henry Cejudo because Henry Cejudo walked away from the championship as the double champ. If he's coming back, he should walk into a title fight. I'll do O'Malley versus Sanhagen. I would not put O'Malley in there with... Uh, Marab, because I feel like Marab's going to just keep taking him down, and you might not get the opportunity to possibly see him fight for a championship. I think him and Sanhagen is a much more favorable, not favorable for Sean, but much more fun fight for the world to watch because these guys are going to go at it. They're both diverse. They're both very exciting fighters. But I'll go Marab Dewalish-Vili versus Marlon Chito Vera. Because Chito Vera is mm. big for the weight. He's on a run, and he has shown an ability to fight everyone. And I think it would force Marab into another one of those fun fights like we saw him have with Marlon Marais. And Marlon Marais almost had him out of there uh, a couple years ago when they fought. So I'm going Sterling Cejudo for the belt. Guys, give Aljamain one more opportunity to just kill all the questions, Ryan, like, there will be no more yep. questions if he beats Henry Sudo after beating Piotr Jan and TJ Dillashaw. Then you go O'Malley, Sanhagen, DeWallace, yep. Vili versus yep. Vera. Yeah. I like that. Listen, I think you go Cejudo, Sterling as well for all the reasons that you said. And one, 
Henry Cejudo doesn't need to work his way up there because even if he comes back and he fights his first fight and he's not great, then it takes away a little bit of the excitement from the championship fight. Or if he loses, you never get the championship fight. I want to see Sean O'Malley fight Chito Vera again. Remember, Chito Vera was the guy that gave us just lay, kick him, and you beat him. Remember we got that? And now Chito Vera has gone on a run where he's had these amazing knockouts and he's knocked out, you know, some of the legends of the sport. And I think if he gets an opportunity against Sean O'Malley, who has now risen to number one, I believe that's a fight that everybody tunes into, everybody wants to see, and it truly validates Sean O'Malley being in the spot that he's in. And I'd like to see Marab versus Corey Sanhagen because I believe it gives us the same things that you're expecting. I think you picked Vera. From a, from a Vera fight from Marab, but I also think Corey Sanhagen is always double-dutching right on that. I'm elite, I'm elite. I'm not necessarily the champion, but I'm right there anyway, and it really pushes Marab to dig deep and find some of those things that we've gotten to see in some of his exciting fights that we didn't get, get to necessarily get from him against Jose Aldo in the last. You know, Ryan, that's a, that's a great list, but the, the beauty in those two lists is that we have six guys that are fighting at that level, and now mm. Sean O'Malley is one of those six, and as a star, as he is now, it really does make the division interesting. But as we move on, you know, there were two other guys that fought last weekend and had real signature yeah. wins, Benil Dariush and Bilal Muhammad. Both of those guys are in divisions where the championships now are tied up. Obviously, Kamaru Usman gets a rematch against Leon Edwards, and... Islam Makashev is going to fight against Alexander Volkanovsky. So my question to you, when you look on the outside, knowing that both of these guys fought so beautifully, both of these guys are on massive win streaks, when you look at their paths to victory and paths to championship opportunities, which one do you believe will find themselves in a UFC championship fight first? Benny D, Benil Dariush, or Bilal Muhammad? I think Benil Dariush. Uh, Benil Dariush is one fight away from getting his opportunity to contend for the belt. Uh, he mentioned that Charles Oliveira would be the, the ideal opponent for him. If he gets an opportunity to fight against Charles Oliveira and he's able to win that fight, to me, he gets the winner of Islam Mahachev and Alexander Volkanovsky. I think that Bilal is a little further away because you have guys like Hamzat Chumayev, who, who is rumored to be fighting, or I think mm -hmm. is, is, is closing in on a fight with Kobe Covington. If he wins that fight, no matter if it's Kamaru Usman or Leon Edwards, I believe he's the next person in that spot, which pushes Bilal Muhammad back. And also in a very, in an extremely tough weight class at 170, some of the people he would have to fight while waiting are definitely fighters that could beat him. Fighters who could be extremely tough. So where I believe he has a longer road to get back and more wins to get an opportunity to get a championship shot, I believe Benil Dariush is truly one fight away if that's the right fight he's able to, to take. For, for the record, I thought Bilal Muhammad has never looked better. He fought wonderful on Saturday night. Knocked the guy out, beat Sean Brady in a way that was exciting. It was fun. A lot of pressure. He did exactly what he needed to do in that spot against a young, undefeated fighter. But with that being said, I have to agree with you. Benil Daryush would get a title fight if not for this Alexander Volkanovsky opportunity right now. So he's right on the verge. And I could see where in a world happens to Islam 
Hashev and he does get to the fight. Uh, and Volkanovski fights someone else, Benil Daryush will walk into the next championship opportunity. Or if Volkanovski doesn't make it, I can see Islam fighting Benil Daryush. And I can even see Benil Daryush as the replacement guy on the same card in Australia. So I think Benil's already done enough. And I believe that the toughest matchup for him left outside of the champ was the guy he fought on Saturday. So I believe that he's very close, if not. I mean, earlier in the night, Ryan, before I knew this Volkanovski stuff was happening, I said don't make him fight again. Give him a title fight. The guy has earned it, and he took on a very dangerous yes. fight, won the fight, and he has earned his championship opportunity. But, Ryan, as we do every week, you know what we got to do. It's time to tap in or tap out. Corporate Jake, <laughs> hit us on that guy, Mike. All right, guys, Saturday night, a pair of top featherweights face off between Calvin Cater and Arnold Allen vying for that next shot at the title. However, the champ at 145 is set to fight for the 155 title next. RC, tap in or tap out. The winner of Cater versus Allen will fight for an interim title next. Ooh, that's, that, that's tough. I, I, th I think they do. I mean, when you look at uh, Calvin Cater continuing to have himself in those championship discussions, I believe he has that opportunity, but... I tap in on Arnold Allen actually being the guy if he wins. I think what he's like eighth right now, he's a dude that just won nine fights in a row. I know this DC because I tracked this for our show, right? So I believe that Arnold Allen, if he wins the fight, has an opportunity to step in and get an immediate opportunity to be the interim uh, champion at 145. I tap out. I, I actually got to disagree, Ryan, because... There is no interim title. Like, Alexander Volkanovsky just beat Max Holloway in, in, in July. Like, there's no need for an interim championship. You got to think, these guys aren't horribly out of line in terms of time. Because unless they take the two, the winner of this fight this weekend, and honestly, it's only going to be Arnold Allen. So I agree on that point. Because whoever would fight for an interim championship has to be against Josh Emmett. So unless they're going to put that interim title fight on the undercard of Volkanovski trying to become double champion, there's no need for an interim title fight. So while I tap out on an interim championship, I tap in on if Arnold Allen wins and they fight on the same night as the champion. Maybe it works, I guess. I don't know. Carpet Jake, let's go. Light heavyweight champion Yuri Prohaska <laughs> recently spent three days in pure isolation and complete darkness without eating a morsel of food. DC, tap oh. in or tap out, spending three days in the dark with no food. Come on, man. RC, do I have to even tap? I mean, RC, be three days with no food, RC. I tap. Bro, you, I tap out too. What, what am I going to learn about myself in the dark with no food? Nothing. That does, I'm not going to learn a dang thing, but that I'm hungry as hell. And that seems way too difficult for me to do, DC. I'm not a samurai. I'm not no ninja. I ain't none of those. I'm not Steven Seagal. None of those things. Hell no. I tap all the way yo. out. Yo, hey, and speaking of Steven Seagal, I saw him Saturday at the fights. And he told me, I told you, DC, if him, you'd have listened to me in that fight against John Jones, fight would have been over in the first round. He showed me this finger move, <laughs> and he hit me with it again Saturday, dog. He tried to break my hand. He tried to break my hand Saturday night again, dog. I just saw Steven Seagal hey. out there in Abu Dhabi. Bro, but <laughs> Steven Seagal is the greatest upper body fighter in a movie I've ever seen. Bro. Steven Seagal doesn't move anything up top. It's just like... 
Hey, Ryan, and of all the people my father met before he passed, the one he was most excited about was Steven Seagal, dog. He loved Steven Seagal. <laughs> but, man, I tap out, man. And you're a pro Hoska, I guess, is trying to go to a place that if he can survive that, I guess he could survive anything like he had to against Glover Teixeira last time. So I get right. why he did it, but I'm tapping out, man. I'm not going three days without food. Corporate Jake. Hi right, guys, last one. Jake Paul versus Anderson Silva takes place this Saturday. And to help promote the fight, both men shared a video yesterday of them, some would say, Man, dancing. RC, tap in or tap out. This is a terrible type of fight promotion. Actually, I tap out on it. I love seeing Anderson Silva be superhuman. Uh, he's like the greatest, he's one of the greatest MMA fighters of all time. He's really getting it. And this just adds to what this fight is to me. Like, this isn't... Floyd Mayweather, Manny Pacquiao. Like, if they were dancing, I'd have an issue with it. To me, this seems more fun. This seems more light. Pretty much what this fight is truly to me. So I tap in, man. I like, I, I tap out that this is bad fight promotion. Man, let me tell you something, man. This is some old BS. Like I, I might have said the actual word when I was watching the video under my breath. RC. I was under my breath going, man, this is some old <laughs> I got to be honest. I mean, they dancing. Look at these dudes. Look at these dudes, man. Like, come on, man. Like, Anderson Silva can really dance. Only thing too, is boy. bad is that Jake Paul's dancing is bad. Anderson Silva is killing it, Jake bro. Jake Paul Bam. cannot dance. Yeah. Jake Paul actually yeah, cannot dance, dog. And look at, look at Anderson. Anderson actually looked good dancing. And guess what? Bro. If they let, I don't know, like, I don't know what's happening Saturday, Ryan, but if they let Anderson just go fight this dude, Anderson going to beat him, too. So he's going to beat him at dance, yes. and he's going to beat him in a this boxing match is, is if they let true. him just go fight this dude this weekend. I, I, I would hope that Anderson Silva wouldn't uh, take a dive. <laughs> no, man, I know, I know, I, I know. But you know me, man. We're in a world today where I just don't know what to expect. But, hey, dog, Abu Dhabi was crazy. I run into my boy Steven Seagal. Yo, I met Steve Harvey, bro. <laughs> dude came up to me, started talking That's to dope. me. I was like, man, I watch everything. I watched Steve. I met Steve Harvey. <laughs> The boy Hasbullah was out there. Hasbullah had his first fight inside the octagon the other day. He won and in the UFC's 35-pound division. Okay. My boy Hasbullah doing his thing. It was a tremendous weekend from Abu Dhabi it's RC. 35. You <laughs> keep doing your thing, my brother, man. Keep killing it. I and love uh, my every dog. Tuesday, guys, catch me and RC on YouTube, ESPN2, DC and RC, man, every week, right in your house, in your How's living the earthquake, room. bro? You good? 5.1 RC. 5.1 earthquake Crazy. just hit. Uh, Gilroy. Crazy. Until next time, guys. Peace.